Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time again for our Week with Wendy, the only show where you'll find real talk about the SoCal estate of mind. With your host, Wendy Ross, who after decades of working at real estate brokerages in, oh, Silicon Valley and Orange County and all over, she decided it was time to create a different real estate business model. And so she did. That's when Veracity Real Estate was born. The time was ripe for renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels. Yeah, all price levels. Something you seldom see here within the high-cost luxury markets like Southern California. Wendy's built a company of data-driven real estate investment advisors who are, above all else, truth seekers and truth tellers. And truth be known, she brings in the most interesting guests. So we're looking forward to both of those today as we talk truth, talk talk facts with Wendy. You ready? I'm ready. Are you? I'm ready. You, you always, uh, you said be, be prepared to have my mind blown. I think that happens on a weekly basis here on the show. It does. <laughs> it, it's kind of my mission in life to make your eyes get really big. <laughs> All right. Well, go. Uh, uh, the mic is yours. All right. So welcome to 2022, huh? Can you believe this? 2022, how did that turn? That sounds so sci-fi to me here. I know, I know. I remember as a kid thinking how old I was going to be in the year 2000. I'm like, oh my word, I'm a fossil now. 2022, where do we go? 2022, I know, I know. So, And with the new year brings us more data to make us crazy. And, uh, and as you know, I'm all about market analysis, and you can count on me to bring you market analysis you won't find anywhere else. And has there ever been a crazier time in this market? It seems like the last year or two, we thought it was going to crash, and instead it skyrocketed. Just wait. Just, just wait. Just okay. wait. Okay. I mean, it, even my mind was blown by this data, and I track it every week. One of the ways that you know, I can provide this, this type of analysis you can't find anywhere else is because I work with experts and I surround myself with people who bring new experiences to real estate. And like my guest today, my first one of 2022. So thank you so much for being here, Mayar Kasemian. Thank you. We're going to have a robust discussion with her in just a moment about all the ways we can get into trouble with the law and with construction and with business and and a little bit about her background, which in itself, Paul, is going to blow your mind, blows mind. Mayar is the founder and managing partner of Kasemian Law Group. It's a boutique law firm, and she focuses on construction and business law. But what's really fascinating, Paul, is that she also has a master's degree in physics, and she spent a year as a faculty member at Cal State Long Beach. I'm chuckling already. Right? I'm trying to see the connection there. All right. (laughs) Just you wait. Well, she taught physics and electronics laboratory courses before moving into the corporate world. So her technical experience is part of the reason why she focuses on construction law. So, I mean, physics and construction and things falling down, it makes sense, right? Hopefully they don't fall down. Not on her watch anyway. So, Mayar, before we get started, allow me to continue with our tradition, and I'm going to focus a little bit and frame the real estate market. So, here's what happened last week, and then we'll talk about the year-end recap. Last week, we had 121 new listings, and that was up 34% over the week before. And mind you, last week encompassed both Christmas and New Year's Eve. So, to have more going on that last week of the year is pretty phenomenal. 230 of them went into escrow. That was down 22%, but again, not shocking. We had a lot of business days where they were just closed. We sold 433 homes. That was down 5%. That's pretty damn remarkable. But again, we all know in in Orange County in particular and other business-type communities, people try to close their escrows before the end of the year for tax purposes. So that's not altogether surprising. It took a median of 10 days on the market to sell homes, which again is crazy when you contrast that with our historic norm of 80 or 85 days this time of year. But that was actually up 42% because the week before it was seven days, which is just obscene. 
Our median sold price last week was up 4%, closing at 955000 That was down 2%, but we still had 100% list price to close price ratio. So yeah, just when we're looking at a week out of context, that's an incredible week. But let's just wait and talk about the whole year. The whole year was pretty darn incredible. And because people keep asking me, I'm going to share, yeah, we added three distressed listings to our inventory last last month. I'm sorry, last week. Three. So let's not all line up and go to buyer foreclosure because they're just not out there. Mm. But year end, this is what I've been dying to talk to you about. It, of course, it ended with a bang in Orange County. It was nuts. We sold 16% more homes than we did in 2020. And the median price also rode, rose by 16%, roughly 15.58%. But all of this is in spite of our having half the normal level of inventory to buy. So we have half as much for people to buy, and we're still selling exponentially more of it. It was insane. We sold a third fewer homes last year priced below a million dollars than we normally do, but that was because we had half as many homes priced below a million dollars. And that's not because they're just not coming on the market. It's because that price segment is slowly going away because prices are moving up so much. The low end's evaporating because investors are now in the market competing with John and Jane Doe trying to buy houses because they're looking for a place to park their money for a tax shelter because of all those tax code changes that jacked them up and they need something else to do to shelter their money from tax consequences. What happens is that we sold twice as many homes as well, priced above a million dollars than ever. Not compared to last year, ever. In the history of Orange County, we sold twice as many homes over a million dollars. And again, we only had half as many of them to buy. So this type of pressure on the market should make all of us stop and understand prices aren't going to erode anytime soon. Certainly not in 2022, probably not in 2023, maybe not till 2024. It's going to be so incredibly boring. I'm going to be saying the same thing. That's why I have to have fun people like Mayar come and talk to us because <laughs> we'll have nothing else to talk about. Anyway, I digress. Truly, Paul, what shocked me most was our 84% increase in sales last year of homes priced above $5 million. We sold 514 of them last year. This is compared to a historic norm between 180 and 200. An 84% uptick in super luxury homes. So if anyone wants to say the pandemic hasn't made the rich richer, they're delusional. It absolutely, positively has. What also kind of blew my mind was, I think I predicted, and I'm not always right, that lease rates were going to flatten in Orange County because, you know, a lot of people couldn't pay their, their leases and landlords were going to have to give concessions and blah, blah, blah. But I was wrong. It, leases overall on average rose 9% across the county. And here's the best part, the most tasty part. Lease rates in, lo in the luxury coastal communities of Newport Beach, Dana Point, and Laguna Beach increased last year 14.75%, 18.75%, and 22.22% respectively. That's insane. So what can we expect in 2022? Hopefully mortgage rates will start to creep up and that should put a little bit of cooling on the buyer demand, but not much because there's so many people with money here. It's not going to deter them that much. There's just not going to be enough homes to buy. The boomers are settling in and they're not moving. They're not selling their homes. They're leaving feet first, an expression that's kind of gross and I hate to use, but I'm hearing it on the street all the time. They're just not adding inventory to the market. So we're going to have to work around it. And builders aren't going to build enough to make up for this demand. So the crush is on. I think we're going to see gains over the market overall between 9 and 10% in the coming year. 
and higher gains in luxury market. And we're going to see a lot of appreciation in rents because not only are people going to be renting homes long term with COVID, they're starting to come to coastal areas where they can park their boats and rent luxury homes and spend the summers here or the holidays here or whatever. And that skews up the rental prices, too. So I predict rents are going to go up between 10 and 12 percent on average because of that. That's it. It's en fuego. It's going to continue to be en fuego. And uh, every week we'll talk about it. So that, that's enough for me. I, I'm bored with me. Can I say something here? Please. Yes. <laughs> so when you talked about 10 days on the market as yeah. the, uh, was the median, Yes. I, I, that just blows my mind. I remember right. in 2007, I was selling a house that stayed on the market for nine months. Right. Highly upgraded house. Everybody loved it, but it just... The higher-end homes take longer to sell. Yeah. Yeah, and it used to be just, I don't know, going back to 2016, 2015, 2014, we would tell our clients, if you have a home priced a million dollars or below, depending upon the time of year, it should take between 30 days, which is really fast, to 90 days to sell. And the more expensive, the more luxurious the home, the longer it will take. That was normal. And now we've got buyers out there going... Why has this home been on the market so long? It's been 30 days. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. I have been through the grueling experience of nine months, and I had two teenagers in the house, and to leave that house Uh, in model shape in the morning was just unbelievably hard. It is. It's so disruptive, and we're so spoiled now because now my yard... Like, I would come to you and say, let's put your home up for sale. We'll get it all ready. We'll do whatever little touch-up paint staging, blah, blah, blah. We'll put it on the market, and people can start to see it Friday. By Monday, you have offers. You have three days. You have to keep it pretty, and that's kind of it. And, you know, in terms of prices, you were talking about the number of houses that are over a million. Yes. Uh, we bought a house in Laguna Niguel in 1989, 3,000-square-foot home, highly customized and it was $485,000 wow. and we, when it was finished with escrow and everything we paid over half a million which blew our mind right. it was like we were very young and we were buying this super expensive right and million oh easy crazy easily people have discovered Laguna Niguel and that it's got this beautiful climate and it's a really fast a short drive to Dana Point and golfers love El Niguel of course no it's a really smart place to buy a house yeah I do a lot of work there (laughs) I love it very much oh my goodness so let me let me get into you I mean I just can't thank you enough for being here and I, I love Paul's face when I was like physics and she was a professor. <laughs> oh, and, and not to mention getting your JD and actually being an attorney and heading your own law firm for the love of Pete. I mean, it's phenomenal. So, I mean, and having and getting back to the whole legal aspect of things, what kind of lawsuits are you seeing between homeowners and contractors and things? Frankly, um, most disputes uh, start with payment issues. Oh, and they almost always result from. Um, changes, delays, and disagreements. So we all have to go back to the contract, you know? So we're seeing a lot of people who are not happy with the delays. They Mm -hmm. decide they buy a house, they decide to remodel. It has been taken forever. Uh, There are 
various reasons for it. Mm -hmm. um, if the contractor is right on the dot and they're doing everything they're supposed to do mm -hmm. during COVID, permitting became really a very long-winded transaction. I heard that was very, very, well, even I had some issues in those cities where you have to get um, residential permit records and things to you know, resell a home, and I saw the delays there. I, I can't imagine what builders were going through. Right. And then, then you run into the supply chain issues. Right. A lot of lumber and steel and other types of material needed for substantial upgrades. Certainly. And um, a lot of it was coming from China, wasn't it? That a was lot a of big it issue. was coming, and it, we're here in Orange County just looking down the coast, seeing all those big container ships parked there. Mm -hmm. So that was another reason for delays. And contractors, frankly, became so super busy mm -hmm. that they were taking a lot more projects so they, they had have. fewer people to allocate to one project i was one of those people who decided to do a remodeling in the summer of 2020 and we started it was just one bathroom that needed to be done and it became the whole house it's a domino <laughs> effect because you, you can't have this beautiful bathroom and then the house looks shabby yes so <laughs> on and on and on but um that kind of hit us too and mm -hmm. i could see that um, I have a question. Sure. Do you think any of these disputes could have been lessened or avoided with better communication? Absolutely. Um, communication is the number one way that you can avoid lawsuits and mm -hmm. you can avoid any disputes in any kind of a situation, sure. business law, construction law, from a contractor's or a homeowner's point of view from a commercial owner's point of view with a commercial contractor. Uh, that's what I always tell the clients. I'm, You know, we all text a lot and email mm -hmm. a lot. I tell my clients, please pick up the phone. Yes. And if you can't have a face-to-face -face with someone, pick up the phone, get on the Zoom. Mm -hmm. Just, Just human contact makes those things so much easier. I have found that to be true. Absolutely. And I, I know being on the residential, you know, contract side of things, because I'm contra contracting sales, I have found that when I manage their expectations in advance and, and let them know, okay, we're in the city of Lake Forest and this community is going to require that their community inspector comes out and they have limited inspectors because of COVID and, 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 and this is probably going to be delayed and don't be surprised. Then when it is delayed, they're not freaking out about it. That's so true. Um, I think the one thing that contractors have to tell whoever they're building for mm -hmm. um, is that, listen, we can't give you an exact time right. um, limit, but also update them. When they see that the project is not going to end in the first estimated time of mm -hmm. three months, tell them, you know, halfway through it, look, we're having these issues. It's going to take longer. So managing expectations on both sides becomes right. really good. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to make this a gender issue, but um, I know that you have a family and w women are generally, in my experience, better herding cats than a lot of men are because we're, we're used to explaining the why behind things and trying to gain compliance from people. So you know, perhaps that's serving us well in, in this environment. I, I don't know. But 
You know, there's a gender gap definitely in the construction industry. As a woman attorney uh, practicing in construction law, mm-hmm. I've heard, I've seen that up front and close, and and it, it is an issue. Um, I think if people can just look at each other as people. Wouldn't that be refreshing? That would be amazing. Just put gender stereotypes aside mm-hmm. and think of it. If you're a contractor and you're a construction company and on the other side you're dealing with a woman, don't look at them as a woman. This mm-hmm. is a person with a brain. They're going through stuff and they're explaining to you what they want from the project. Right. Um, or, or like you, they're in charge. They're in charge and accept that they're in charge. Exactly. And they don't get to be in charge for no reason. Right. They usually people who get to be at a, at, to a certain level have years of experience. They have knowledge. They have they have education. That kind of stuff. Um, but I want to go back to what you were saying. The the reasons for for lawsuits. So yes. delay is one. Mm-hmm. But we see a lot of payment disputes, and the payment disputes basically go back to um, the contract issue. Now, if if I may talk about the home improvement contract first, because mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of stuff that you deal with. Most right? commonly, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so home improvement contracts are highly regulated in the state of California. There's a Business and Professions Code section 7159, which is basically dedicated to home improvement contracts. I did not know that. It's very specific. Very specific. And it actually spells out all the provisions that need to be in a home improvement contract. And it is so specific because it's a consumer protection um, type of measure. The specificity has to deal with even the type of font and if it has to be bold in one side. Wow. Exactly. And so what we tell people is that make sure you have the right contract. And of course, we take those, what they say, and then we add other protective measures into the contract Mm -hmm. and allow people to have a good stepping stone and to get back to it, because a contract basically controls the duties and responsibilities of the two parties mm-hmm. that are contracting. And what a lot of people don't realize is that in the context of home improvement, especially, the more detailed you are at the beginning, mm-hmm. the better off you are later out on. And, and, and the reason for that is, for instance, I've seen a lot of home improvement projects that just start with a proposal that says, this is what we're going to do, mm-hmm. and some, maybe a few items, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like at a garage, without detail. And the contractor is not very specific. So if I have one advice for the homeowners is in addition to making sure you have the right home improvement contract, make sure that the scope of work is spelled so there are itemized itemized line items Mm -hmm. for each. For instance, when they're talking about adding 
a kitchen, if it's a brand new kitchen they're adding, mm-hmm. does that include the framing? Does that include the cabinets? Does that include the drywall, the uh, countertops, appliances, and on and on and on? Whatever is included, as long as each one of them have a line item, then there's very little doubt later mm-hmm. on. What the expectation is. And, and let me probably blow your mind a little bit. Back in the late 80s, I was senior partner of a small construction firm myself. And I was... Very uh, nice. Right? See? There you go. I walked a mile in your moccasins, kind of, kind of. Yeah. Um, and that was up in West LA. And I was the one that would go to the design review hearings. And I was the one that would negotiate very often with subcontractors. And what we learned was that my partners were very good at job costing and estimating. And other people in West LA were just very good at sales. So they would go and sell the job, but they had no idea how to price it. And they would subcontract the whole project to us. Mm. So even though I have that direct experience myself, and I personally would go to design review hearings and see the nonsense in Malibu and the nonsense in Oxnard. Oxnard's sure. crazy. Don't build an Oxnard. I just it's nuts. <laughs> even in, in light of all of this context, I would not be comfortable reviewing a home improvement contract my, for myself or for a client. I would call you because I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what to look for. How could anyone who doesn't do your job possibly know what to look for? And you know, what you like look for, also from a contractor's point of view as mm-hmm. well, the items, the scope of work and the price, of course, those have to match and everything. But there are a lot of legal provisions that we can put in contracts to protect the parties. What types um, of things are you thinking of there? I will tell you, I, I was just gonna mention that it's an ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. Um, One item for contractors is uh, transfer of risk. What I mean by that is that if there is a general contractor, and you mentioned subcontractors, Mm -hmm. if the general contractor is not doing the work and actually subcontracting it to others who are going to do the work, then there are these indemnity provisions that are put in there. So the risk of any negligent work Mm -hmm. falls on the subcontractor. Interesting. Same thing can be true in terms of an owner. If there's any kind of a negligence on the job, even for a home improvement contract, which is not a big contract a lot of times. So if I've had clients with a million and a half worth uh, of home I'm sure you have, <laughs> yes. But even within that context, um, if there's something that happens on the job site due to the negligence of the contractor, the owner should have something in there that says, hey, if this happens and someone sues me because of your negligence, you have to defend me, you have to I got take it. on the lawsuit, etc. That's massive. That's one of them. That's one of them. But that could really save a homeowner a lot of time and money. Absolutely. And time is money. Absolutely. Not going to work or doing whatever we do to go be in court or whatever, depositions. Right. Yeah, to not have to deal with that. It seems like such a simple but smart thing. Very smart thing, and it's really pennies on the dollar to do the prevention. And then, I don't know if you had questions. I had a couple other things Yeah, no, to please, add. please go on. Um, one thing I want um, to mention is that the change in scope of work mm-hmm. 
is, as I mentioned, I started with one bathroom remodeling right. and it ended up the whole house. Right. Um, that happens all the time. Every time a change happens, if it's initiated by the homeowner mm-hmm. or the contractor, as you've been in construction, I'm sure you're you're familiar with change orders. I am, yes. A change order, people, do, a lot of people don't know, is that it's just a piece of paper on which you write down what has been changed mm-hmm. and the price that goes with it. Right. Now, the most number of misunderstandings that we see is this. The homeowner says, hey, can you add this to the scope and the contractor says sure right right there's no discussion of how much is going to be added to the price yes if the contractor says sure that doesn't mean they're not going to charge you for it absolutely they're not going to work for free right and and they have to pay their their team they can't work for free absolutely so have them give you the price up front Mm -hmm. negotiate it and be done with it, specific. On the contractor's side, what happens is the homeowner tells them and they go, sure, go ahead. They go ahead, they do the work, and then here's an extra $100,000. Right. And the homeowner says, I didn't know that it was gonna cost that I much. I would not I have said have- yes. Right. Exactly. The kind of thing that I've commonly seen as well is a homeowner, let's say, again, back to the kitchen remodel. And the you know the rough framing is in, and they've got the lines on the floor saying this is where your island's going to be, this is where this is going to be, and they say, you know, can I just move the stove a foot that way? And they think we're just moving it a foot, nothing's been done yet, no big deal. And the contractor knows, well, there's going to be electrical in the walls and ducting, and do we have to move the gas line and 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 how does this affect the roof and and the ducting and and the homeowner's not thinking, well, it's just a foot, and it, in those cases. In my experience, a little communication went a really long way. Absolutely. You know, because we don't know what we don't know. It may seem like a foot and a small change to you, but that could be a $30,000 change. Just moving the stove a foot. So right. is it $30,000 important to you, darling? That's your call to make. Yes, absolutely. So so that's another area that we see a lot of lawsuits come along. Wow. And then the third one is defects. Oh, so defect, defective work. Yes. There's a lot of that. Defective work is usually happens later, but a lot of times people are not happy with the work that is being done. And either it's defective or to them it's not satisfactory. So how long does a homeowner have after a project is complete to say, I think this is defective? So that's a very complicated and interesting question. Um, California has these laws for filing lawsuits, mm-hmm. they're called statutes of limitation. So once a uh, statute of limitation has passed, you're done, you can't file a lawsuit on that specific matter. Now, Fair. for construction and for negligence, the outer limit is 10 years, which is very long. That's a very long time. However. That's the outer limit. There's other statutes that come along the way. What does that mean? Three years down the road, the house is starting to leak and 
you're having issues and you go back to sue your original contractor. Mm -hmm. From that point that you discover, depending on what kind of specific defect it is, you could have only three or four years. So it won't be pushed all the way to 10 because you've already found out. Right. And what about the courts now? Are they backed up? I mean, could it take you three years to even get this heard? Absolutely. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Can okay. you say mediation? So, of course. <laughs> yeah. Mediation. Uh, let, let, me, let me back up. Courts have been backed up quite a bit. There were court closures for sure mm -hmm. during the early part of COVID. We are back in court. We have a lot of cases going. I actually had a trial in federal court back in July, in-person trial. Very Wow. Probably the first one in 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 the Orange County Federal Court. Um, but a, a lot of our our motions and our hearings with the court are being done through uh, phone calls and uh, either a Zoom or what's called Court Connect equivalent to a Zoom. Okay, so a video um, type conference. Exactly, a okay. video conferencing type uh -huh. of uh, scenario. But courts are backed up because all of these cases that needed to go to trial were sitting for some time. Wow. And there's been a flurry of new cases, uh, all kinds of things arising from COVID. Well, I've heard home improvement has been on the rise, so that makes sense. Right. Home improvement, unless it's a payment and delay issue, doesn't come into play with the defect until a few years later. Got it. Um, but uh, what happens is, you know, the courts are backed up and your normal cycle of a lawsuit it is not what you see on TV. <laughs> Nothing think is going to go. You know, <laughs> they file a lawsuit and three days later they're trying it. No, mm -hmm. no, no. And no, then no, they get no, the check sorry. the next day. And they get it. <laughs> okay. So the normal lifetime of a lawsuit is anywhere from when the time you file mm -hmm. until uh, it gets to trial, could be anywhere between 18 months to two years. Wow. Okay. Now, um, it, it, this has been extended because of COVID. Sure. So you can imagine how it is. What we do is we try to resolve the cases via mediation mm. or even by conferences amongst party and council very early on mm. and every chance we get. But And that's obviously the sagest thing you can advise. Yes. But you got to realize sometimes it takes seven, eight months for a, uh, a person who is involved in a lawsuit to start to see, well, maybe this isn't worth it. Because right. they have to pay a lot of money every month to the attorneys. And it takes a lot of bleeding before they go, I'm done. I think yeah. I want to resolve. The, the pain is too great. Uh, you're going to have to come back and talk to us a lot more often because <laughs> I know in a couple of years, like you said, what they're building today is going to be defective later. So um, if you would promise to come back because I have a million more questions. But, but first, we have to take a quick break. And Paul, would you please tell us about our sponsor this week? Absolutely. I'm just sitting here taking notes and amazed at the conversation you guys are having here. Uh, but this is a conversation you have all the time because you get great partners and great strategic uh, uh, associations and networks and, that you work with, including our sponsor, Ford and Diulio. Ford and Diulio is an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with experienced attorneys from big law firms. 
Partners who founded Ford and Doolittle on the concept of aligned interests. There's something you don't hear very often. Where their success is directly related to your success. Where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective and not dragging it out forever. And where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' goals, whether in litigation, mediation, or even if a trial, if you make it that far. If that's something you find appealing and you want to know more, it's pretty simple to do so. Find them at FordDiulio.com. Just like it sounds, F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O, FordDiulio.com. And as always, I got more, so many questions, I Wendy. know you do. What what you got, Paul? Bring it. Here's one that I have experienced, and I know others have experienced. It isn't just that the contractor does a bad job and you're unhappy or whatever here. It's that he never seems to finish the job. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. And none of us are smart enough to write in a penalty clause if you don't get this done in six months. And so what we thought was going to be done in six days months is going by or he he did the main part of it and then you said well you didn't finish this well, i'll get back to you but he's on another job his crew's gone he's got a chance to make more money somewhere else and you, you fight like heck and i just feel i've had this happen uh we did our kitchen and the guy did a bunch of it but not all of it and it took us months of begging and threatening and pleading and praying to get him to come back and finish the so last is, one little part of it is there a solution or, or a, a- yeah. advice you would give them to try to ameliorate that? Exactly. Okay. Should we have written a penalty in there that if he didn't finish it in a certain period of time, we have some recourse? Or, or do we just all accept that he's going to do a good job and when he, he or she and when he doesn't, then we're stuck? There are a lot of things here at issue. If you, want the, <laughs> if you just want the uh, sort of methodical, theoretical answer, yeah, write a penalty clause. Practically speaking, for a home improvement contract, a penalty clause will not work. We write them for large size commercial contracts where there's more than a few million at stake. Mm -hmm. But for home improvement, we go back to what Wendy said early on, communication, communication, communication. Mm -hmm. Make a record uh, for yourself, um, keeping a record if you're a homeowner or if you're a contractor, keeping a record of communications, try to do them by email, try to, you know, be nice about it. But one thing you should never, ever, ever do is stop paying. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's so, what you, you, you feel like, well, fine, if he's not going to show up, I'm not going to pay him here. Um, you can... You can say I won't pay for the next stage because you haven't done it. Mm-hmm. But a contract is a an agreement between two parties. And if you stop payment, because as a homeowner, your obligation is only to pay. And right. their obligation is to perform. So if you don't pay, you would be in breach of contract. Interesting. And, so you're degrading your own position. Yes. And don't forget contractors have a very strong weapon for getting paid. And that's called a mechanics lien. I used to file them all the time. Yes. Yes. And or a stop notice for for public contracts. Uh, Which means they can attach the property, right? They can attach the property. There are very uh, specific time limits for that. And if they don't abide by the time limits, then you can go and have the court expunge it, etc. But remember, 
that you, you don't want to get into that kind of a fight with a contractor who's working on your home. So communicate a lot and often. There's one thing I forgot to mention in mm. regard to defects. I would be remiss to not mention that. Please share. For homeowners, make sure that when you enter into a home improvement contract, you get a copy of the insurance certificate for your contractor. Yes. Um, that's so for many of them don't have it. They just came by. Oh, I'm not licensed. Oh, I don't have insurance. Oh, I just hire you know, illegal help, whatever it is. I mean, I see it all the time. We're just going to do it. That's how we're going to do it cheap. Quick. Yeah. No. Well, don't do that. <laughs> it reminds me of years ago in Glendale. We had a project going, and um, my partner had hired a foreman I, I didn't like. And he kept doing things that I didn't approve of, like bringing beer and having beer on, on the job site, yeah. that kind of thing. And one day, it was payday, and I went to the job site, and I found people on the roof who were not bonded and permitted to be on the roof. And so I pulled them all down, and I pulled the foreman down, and I handed him his check, and it was his final check. And he didn't understand. I'm like, the consequences are you will do as we are instructed and you will not compromise my insurance because those of those contractors who were smart enough to get the appropriate bonds and insurance could lose it and they could lose their licenses if somebody reports that kind of violation. So, right. yes, you have to get copies of it and proof of it in advance and you have to make sure that it's enforced throughout. That's yeah. so true. And the problem with unlicensed uh, contractors is that um, a, an owner will have no recourse against them. I mean, theoretically, mm -hmm. you can file a lawsuit, and um, the law says you can disgorge any money that they get from you. You can get it back. But do you think those contractors have any resources for you to go of against? Of course. If they're operating on a shoestring, no, they don't. And, and for you, you would have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to go after them. So realistically speaking, not only make sure they're licensed, and it's real easy, you go on the CSLB, California State Contractors uh, Licensing License Board, board mm -hmm. and what you do is just put in their name and the information comes up real easy. Mm -hmm. um, with a licensed contractor's contractor, there's a minimal bond, bond of $15,000. It is Which very is minimal. It it's is nothing. Minimal. Mm -hmm. That's why, if you if they uh, have their liability insurance in place, mm -hmm. and if you get a copy of it, um, because if you don't get a copy, you can't get that info anywhere. You have to get a copy of the uh, certificate that has the liability insurance information on it and shows which broker and which company so smart if you do that you can get uh you you know that there would be someone who can right. pay you right. if there's a defect not for the defect but for the damage caused by the defect and like we were saying as we walked in here today don't just get a paper copy scan it because if somebody makes off with that piece of paper you don't have it anymore yes. Yes. so make sure you scan it and you save it somewhere somewhere safe all I can add, Wendy, is you got to bring her back because there's too many. I got five more questions, and you only got five minutes left in the all show right, here. Right. So, well, then, then we're going to have to like pause, pump the brakes on the contract law part of it because I want everyone to know and love Mayar like I do. So I want to ask Thank some you. more questions 
about her as a human being. Um, and every week I ask my guests my own sort of version of the famous Vanity Fair Proust questionnaire. Um, I love these questions because the answers are always so interesting. So first of all, I, do you still call Laguna Niguel home or what, what city is home now? Yes, Laguna Niguel and the office is a Mission Viejo, very small commute. <laughs> nice, I like it. So aside from loving your commute, what else do you love about living there? It, it's a great community. Um, it is close to the ocean, which I love to, to go to every chance I get. It has a lot of hills and valleys, so it's not very flat, and it's more, you know, colorful. It's so beautiful. And, uh, you know, very, very great place. I've raised my kids there, and I'm still there. Having been there all those years, what's your most treasured possession? My most treasured possession? And it can be anything. It can be your kids. I don't know. It is my kids. Money comes and money goes. Exactly. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> things can be replaced, but our my kids. kids and my friends and my some of my clients that have been <laughs> with me forever. Oh. Yeah. Now, given all that you've done, which is vast, what do you consider your greatest achievement so far? As far as my career is concerned, uh, having my own law firm and tailoring it the way I want to because we have our motto is our business is protecting yours mm. and we basically provide small firm value with large firm expertise. I come from large firms. Uh, we have uh, the expertise to go against some really large firms but we provide the value for businesses who may not have access to the national size law firm with the ability to get personal service. I was us. just going to say, then they get bespoke service and they're getting the personal touch that sometimes you wouldn't get at a True. huge firm. So that's the perfect segue. So we know that you have a business motto. Do you have a personal motto? Make your life count for others. Oh. I adore you. I really. You're so sweet, Wendy. You're the best mentor any woman in business can have. Thank you. And for you to be the massive success that you are in such a male-dominated industry just delights me. Thank you. It does. You're such a brilliant example, and, and I hope you do come back. I hope you will come back. Coming from you, that means a lot. Thank you. We're a lot alike. All right, so we're going to have to stop. I hope that you all can join us next week when I interview Dennis Hensling. One of my favorite people, he's Vice President of United American Mortgage. And please follow Veracity Real Estate Company on Instagram and LinkedIn, and you'll be able to find this podcast show wherever you like. Please listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks.